life happens fast and your course can change in a matter of seconds. How do you navigate going after your dream one minute when then life throws you a curveball and you find your life completely altered in the next? We find that out today. This is episode 213 with Dylan Moscovich on persevering with grit and perspective. You're tuned in to Forever Athlete Radio where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, and I appreciate you being here today. I'm joined by Dylan, who is a former Olympic figure skater turned coach and retreat host. Dylan experienced a wild turn of events in his career as he was preparing for the Canadian Championships to earn a spot in the next Olympic Games when he suffered a freak accident that left him faced with early retirement. No one could have foreseen what caused his career to pivot in that last second. And when it did, Dylan shares the real vulnerable stories of what he went through in that time of self-discovery beyond sport. We talk a lot about the duality of grit and grace and learning how to apply both of those as an athlete and beyond. So let's dive into it. Well, Dylan, thank you, man, for joining me. Glad to hear you're feeling healthy. You're bouncing around. You're about to enter the season of crazy retreat hosting, um, which I'm sure we'll dive into. But first and foremost, how are you feeling? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on here with you. Um, feeling good. Feeling good. I'm <clears throat> I'm cold. Like not in this moment cold, but I'm in <laughs> Toronto and it's cold and I don't, I don't spend as much time here anymore. So man, I, I, yeah, I really prefer the sunshine and the heat, but uh, other than that, I'm good. I'm good and enjoying some time visiting some family and, and friends back in Toronto and, um, you know, just flowing through life, having a bit of a slower pace before things get a little crazy, as you mentioned. Yeah, I was about to say how and how important have you learned now that intentional slowdown period is for you? Because I think when we grow up in athletics, we're just used to that like fast pace, boom, boom, boom. One competition ends, you kind of have a little bit of a down period, but really your mind is already on to the next one. Um, how have you learned in that transition now, and like the importance of like, oh, I actually have the slowdown period. Let me actually take it. Yeah, still learning. I think that's a that's a an ongoing um, evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for many athletes, I, I'll speak for myself, but uh, it's changed my life. Learning to slow down. Uh, first, my first two week quarantine in in the beginning of the pandemic uh, was I realized the first time I had stayed home for two weeks straight and sat still. And mm. in my entire life, as far as I could remember. And um, yeah, it was only then that I started to enjoy um, being with myself. And that's been an evolution and, and enjoying the feeling of slowing down, enjoying the feeling of feeling my body, my energy, my mind, my my soul recuperating. You know, I as an athlete, I was not very good at that. Uh, yeah, I, recovery aspect my ego was like i've got endless energy i can just keep going you know burn the candle at all ends um i've really learned that uh it's quite detrimental so i'm enjoying you, slowing down yeah i was about to say i don't think any athlete inherently is good at that at least to get to the level that you competed at you know what i mean um i'd be curious do you think Without that inherent slowdown period, that first two-week quarantine, would you have gotten to that point on your own? Or did you need some sort of like external shift of that magnitude to say, no, dude, like sit here, be with this and go there? It's a good question. I think at that time, there were many factors that were bringing me to sorry some big some big changes in my life um and it kind of was this perfect recipe you know and that was a a main ingredient yeah i mean the world shutting down and stopping everything was a massive contributor in Mm. in the major shift i was going through so that two-week quarantine of sitting still was part of a bigger picture of of change happening for me um it was like the beginning of a cocoon i guess you could say or near the early days of a cocoon um 
Yeah, that's that's interesting to look back on and say, like, would that would that first two week quarantine have not caused me to stop and stay mm-hmm. inside? What would have happened? I, I like to think eventually I would have figured it out. I like to think so, but. Well, I was about to say, know. sometimes we need that bigger, like bigger power just shaking us up and being like, hey, now sit with this. You mentioned, too, that in that two week period, that like first time really sitting with thoughts and i know that that can be very scary for a lot of people so many of us i think maybe it's less of we don't know how to be busy or like know how to slow down Mm -hmm. but we just want to avoid the sitting and slowing down because of what thoughts might come up in that process how have you learned over the years here to like truly embrace and accept and like go into the thoughts that do come up because they're i mean for all of us, they're not all inherently good and they're not all inherently bad. It's a mix of both and it can be scary. How have you found it to be a little less scary or at least put yourself in a position where you feel a little uncomfortable but confident going into them? That's a great question. I think to start at the end Mm -hmm. um, of what you said, the confidence comes from surrender. It comes from the acceptance of what is. And like you said, not inherently good, not inherently bad. Being able to, I think, hold ourselves in this light of everything we are deserves to be seen, wants to be seen, needs to be seen and held. And um, going into that without this bias of right or wrong, good or bad, allows us to become students of our own inner nature and detectives and you know use our creativity to start to understand and connect dots Uh, at least that's how my mind works i i see Mm -hmm. it as like a puzzle um yeah you know i was already in that first two-week quarantine i was already in the process of I guess you could call it like an existential crisis slash awakening. And Mm -hmm. um, so I I was already moving there. You know, I was already, I was already deep in meditation and yoga and Buddhism and reading Buddhism philosophy. And um, it, it gave me tools to, to go there, but even still looking back, um, it was terrifying. It was terrifying. There were things in my life, behaviors, um, patterns, uh, things that had happened in my life that, you know, I could, I, I knew deep down and we all know deep down our truth. Um, but I knew deep down that were a cause of something I was doing, something I was choosing, something I was avoiding. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, uh, that final willingness to just like, it's like getting into a cold plunge, you know? Like the longer you stand outside the tub, the harder it gets. And then you just got to go in and then go go into it and accept and breathe and be with it. And then you start to transform your experience, right? And I think to your last part, that confidence is like what we learn as athletes. You know, we build resilience. We build familiarity with our growth edge, with the discomfort, with that space where this is starting to really suck. My body wants to stop. My mind wants to stop. And then, oh, I'm learning how to thrive in this place. I think that's the, one of the biggest gifts that sport has given me in my uh, exploration of my inner world. Mm. Such a good point. I think it's, it's so familiar. I'd be curious how you found this (laughs) transition, because I think one of the things I still to this day struggle with is being able to do look at how does that resilience show up in the non-physical work? Like I'm, we're so familiar of like, uh, I want to get to be a faster swimmer. I want to become a better skater. Like you have your strength workouts, you have your skill-based workouts. You're going to stay in and do the reps and you can feel the muscles aching and, and hurting and burning. And that's when the fun just gets started. It seems oftentimes in practice, but there's sometimes here where I'm sitting at my desk and I'm like, I'm going to prospect harder. I'm going to do like, what does that look like for you now on 
maybe the non-physical sense or how have you bridged that gap? Because that's still something, honestly, I'm still trying to figure out of how, like, I know I have this muscle and this extra gear, but how do I apply it in a way that I feel like it's actually, it matters in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the journey. You know, it's, that's it. Uh, Dang it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think as athletes, one of the curses we have are we're so result oriented. We're so mm. like achievement milestone, like, oh, I've arrived at this place. Like in figure skating, you have skills that are cut and dry and like you, you acquire a new skill and then you have to go through the process of making it consistent and then the process of being able to compete with it. But, you know, that aside, there's this like, there's these benchmarks where I guess with, you know, with swimming, it would be uh, your numbers, your speed, your, your lap, mm -hmm. your, you know, all these different things where it's like, that is indis like undisputable that I've made an incremental change. And I think with the inner work, it's teaching us that it doesn't work that way. And the more we try and attach to that, the harder of a time we have, you know? And so what I keep trying to rewire my mind towards is this process mind is right. Like, how am I speaking to myself? How am I responding to moments where I realized I was out of alignment or mm -hmm. I, you know, wasn't in, wasn't choosing uh, the frame of mind that I know benefits me. And the one I agreed upon with myself, you know, like when I fall off the horse, how am I getting back on and how do I encourage myself when I'm doing it? How am I developing um, a more subtle awareness to see when that's starting to happen? You know, like all these different process things. And then, I don't know, just this acceptance that like being human doesn't come hand in hand with perfection. And that's just the way it is. Mm. And thank God it doesn't. You know, yeah. how boring would that be? <laughs> I was about to say, I think we've, it can be easy to your point, whether it's getting caught up in now in this next chapter, scoring that perfect score or, you know, I, I even hear process. I'm like, oh, yeah, process made sense for me in swimming because I would pick a goal time and then I would just reverse engineer of like, OK, what paces do I need to hit to hit that goal time? Well, that becomes now the paces that I need to hit consistently in practice to even and sometimes it would be so far of a jump it sounds like to you of really trying a new skill learning that new skill getting that down then focus on doing it consistently then getting the confidence to be like okay and this is something i feel ready to then go and put on the world stage and compete in and it's i'm like oh yeah process yeah i'm going to i'm going to make it hyper masculine and just like do 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 and i love that you went process can be a beingness as well. It doesn't always need to be in the masculine doing sense. How have you found that delicate balance, I think, between the two? Like when to put your foot on the gas and tap into the masculine side of your energy versus maybe leaving it a little bit more free-flowing and more being in the feminine side? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... <clears throat> With the feminine side, we're receiving, mm. <clears throat> right? Information, learning, subtlety. That is where the dialogue with it comes in. And the masculine is the do, right? So if we're in a, a I say process, because I'm from Canada, you say process. I always, I, I always <laughs> laugh about this one. Process, when I'm in my process and I'm thinking about the next step of my process, I push away whatever I think is getting in the way of me getting to that place. And I think being in the beingness of process, as you put it so beautifully, <clears throat> is accepting wherever we are in that phase mm. and asking, well, what, what is being fed to me? Like, what am I, what am I receiving here? Like clues in an escape room, you know, you can't escape the room until you've solve the puzzle and to solve the puzzle you need to receive the clues also you know so it's it's kind of this like dialogue of knowing that okay this is my fear having me pull away this is where i i pull out my fire my masculine i put my foot on the gas i know how to do this and then it's like okay 
I've tried twice. Banging my head against the wall is not helping me. You know, like what, what am I missing? How do I step back and receive my environment a little bit more, whether that's external or internal Mm. and then work with it and then pair the two together. Right. So you have the, like, uh, like Jack Bauer with Chloe in his ear, if you're a 24 fan, you know, you have the, you have the guide and then you have the doer and, and this kind of like dialogue of information where there's the GPS and the car. It's a beautiful analogy there. I love it. I love speaking in analogies because I think it makes a lot of these more obscure and, and larger things uh, that often can be talked about in the personal mm-hmm. help or personal development, self-help world and makes it a little bit more tangible, which I think is what we're all searching for. Be curious. You I don't know where 24 came from, but yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll take mean, it. Receive it. Receive it. If that's what <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. are coming, thank, go for thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned there a little bit of about environment and it's funny. I mean, the two times that we've connected, you were actually five minutes down the road from me in Austin. The first time we hopped on a call at the airport, which I thought was hilarious. Now you're in Toronto, but moving more, it's within the last two years, correct? To Costa Rica that you've been there. Talk uh, about a year, about a year. Okay. So talk to me about just what you have noticed in your own journey here as sport has taken you kind of all over the world but that's less permanent environment and now you kind of have this freedom to land wherever you want and you chose costa rica of all places what is it about environment there that you're really being drawn to i mean at first one of the main things was like i'm just done with the cold you know (laughs) easy enough a lot of yeah a lot of people say like you're a skater i don't understand it's like yeah i you know, spent 30 plus years straight in a freezer box and half the year I'd leave the freezer box to go outside into another freezer box. It's just like, I've had enough. I want to change. Um, <clears throat> on a deeper level, I spent some time in Costa Rica in 2021, the beginning of 2021, about three months, two and a half months. Um, and it was, it was a life-changing experience. Uh, I went down with a friend of mine who I'm writing, we're writing a screenplay together, an animated series, and it takes place in the jungle. And we said, you know, things were getting really hairy here in Toronto with the lockdowns and there was a window and we said, let's just go and, and travel the country and experience some of these things like whitewater rafting. Like what are these characters Mm -hmm. going through, you know? And so my buddy and I went on this journey through Costa Rica and then that's where I ended up um, going to my first retreat uh, and and experiencing uh, a few different plant medicines uh, from different lineages. And that was the next kind of swing of the hammer that that cracked mm-hmm. me open more and really illuminated what I felt was my next step. My next pull was to help at first it was focused on athletes going through their transition and what I felt through the power of the medicine to the power of ritual and ceremony and, and just the power of being surrounded by nature, you know, being held by all this life that we are part of, we are not separate from nature. You know, like when we say we go out into nature, it's like, no, like we are made up of the same things, you know, and I, I believe our system physically energetically is so much more connected to the surrounding environment than we maybe are taught to acknowledge mm-hmm. and all of those things paired together was just so powerful and so for me i felt okay there's this there's this connection i have to this land there it showed me for the first time in my life how to be still and that was a difficult process you know, the slowing down, allowing myself to get through a day without feeling like I was a failure unless I produced something, you know, workout, whatever, like whatever. I'd accomplish something to be worthy, you know? Mm. And it was like, no, no, no. What does it mean to be? I I took some breaths and that kept me alive. That's that's pretty amazing. Okay. You know, like I sat on the beach and received all this magical beauty around me. What did that what did that show me? You know? So my connection to the experience, I think 
really started pulling me there. And uh, the people that ran the retreat, uh, the couple, Karina and Julian, uh, with a company called Sovereign by Nature, I really connected with them. And we developed a relationship and and uh, started dialoguing about co-creating something. And so Costa Rica had multiple things pulling me down there. And actually now the retreat center I work at is with them. I'd started working mm. with them and then the center hired them as directors and they brought me along. And so there's been a bit of a water skiing behind, you know, this like boat just moving and, and this, uh, this willingness to surrender has allowed me to flow with what's happening in a way that I haven't before. And so Costa Rica pulled me mm. and I said, yes. <laughs> Let's say there's worse places to be pulled to in the world. That's for sure. But I don't hate beautiful. it there. I don't hate it there. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I think two different questions kind of come to mind as you were speaking there. I think the first one was that this will probably be a quicker answer, but looking at kind of just back your background in, you mentioned this need to produce something. Do you think part of that was because of, I mean, competing at the Olympic level and winning at that stage, there's comes with it this feeling of every single day should be working towards producing something that at least leads to that narrative of winning gold or, you know, something of that nature. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, that's my sport trauma completely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's, you know, woven throughout everything. Mm. Like if you think about, I mean, different sports, you start at different times. I started skating at just before I turned three, I started lessons. And apparently my mom said when I was five, I decided I want to win the Olympics, you know? So I mean, just this constant comparison, mm -hmm. this constant competition, this constant and there's healthy competition, but I mean, I, I, I'm in a judge sport. I wasn't a judge sport, right? So it's also arbitrary. And the validation comes from another person's opinion or multiple people's opinion, which can lead to some unhealthy mindsets, you know, and and some unhealthy coaching environments. Some, as I've been doing the digging, you know, some relationship within my family type stuff and bullying being bullied growing up you know as a male figure skater i had some experiences that were pretty traumatic and i pushed those down so all of these things were coloring my world were acting as like filters and uh for the way that i felt i needed to show up to be worthy and so i think it's i think it's all of it you know it all comes from the same kind of root um that I've discovered is a, a lack of self, a lack of self-support, self-love, self-worth that um, I've seen more and more, it unfortunately, filters into the world of most people in our society because mm -hmm. we live in a go, go, go society, uh, you know, uh, financial class and what kind of job you have, what kind of education you have, what kind of accolades you have. Uh, what kind of house you live in, where where you live, like all of these different things are things outside of us. And somehow we've allowed our things outside of us to define what's inside of us. And I think that injures us. It injures our soul. It injures our emotional body, you know, and, and that's a, that's a hard thing to come to terms with. And it's a hard, it's a hard thing to rewire and reprogram. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't envy people like yourself that were in the more judge-based sports. And then like one of the things that I loved about swimming for the most part, like there was the occasional meets that we had uh, human timers and then they would just have the hand stopwatches and you could argue, Oh, like someone's a little bit slower than the others. The running joke was I actually coached in um, a country club league for a number of years and the parents were volunteers and they were allowed to drink though, as they were, uh, as they were timing and there was uh, one time in particular where I, I like looked at the results i was like how did the kid that i coach add 20 seconds off of like what my watch had him at like that's a, that's absurd um but outside of that you know it's pretty straightforward of the clock doesn't really lie 
I'd be curious for you, what does that unlearning process look like since coming out of a judge-based sport and really learning to build that love and compassion and worth and value from within and not be reliant on external because we oftentimes leave one area and we just then seek to replace it and repeat the same cycle in a new environment. How have you, or how are you, because I would imagine it's a, a process that's still ever going. How are you doing that now? Uh, <clears throat> looking at all the ways it permeates every aspect of my life. Mm. You know, um, a huge part of it was social. A huge part of it was social. I was always extremely social. Um, many, many different friend groups I would keep alive. And, you know, I, I, I genuinely do love people and I love connection. But when I look at some of the ways I, w I was being, you know, with um, have a birthday party and invite like everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then looking at it after and seeing like, yeah, okay, I connected different groups. I love doing that. But I spent like, what, like three minutes with each person? How 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 am I showing up in the world? Um, and where is that coming from? And seeing those types of things of like, oh, I just, I have old wounds that I cover with more friends, mm -hmm. more validation. There's a lot of people at my birthday party. I created a big environment, you know? And it wasn't like this, at the forefront of my mind kind of thought, you know, and it was, and it's not all encompassing in that way. It's just, for me, it's like finding a deep curiosity in the face of the fear of looking at it and, and finding where, like, where else in my life am I saying yes to things I don't want to say yes to uh, people pleasing, trying to find, a thing I can do in the world that seems important. And then how am I talking about it to people? Mm -hmm. You know, like, am I selling it? Am I, am I like trying to validate this choice again, you know, in another way, am I trying to earn respect from the judges, which everyone becomes the judge, you know, or um, the kind of friends uh, or people I would, I would try and maintain friendships with or impress are those people related to my values? Are they related to people who made me feel small at different points in my life? And I'm still trying to fix that without being aware of the fact that it's like a, a bandaid on a bandaid on a bandaid, you know? So yeah, I think, I think it, it's really, we're really fascinating beings where we're, you know, so, so many layers are so many things connected and, um, I try and look at it through the lens of how we do anything is how we do everything. And I don't think that's a black and black or and white statement, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting way to look at things because we can start to see a lot of repeating patterns within our mindset, within our behaviors, within the way we receive the world and react to the world and learning to respond in a different way, like taking it in, taking a breath, you know, having that moment to receive and then go, what is this before I respond as opposed to instantaneous reaction um, that is usually governed by some sort of wounding or some sort of trigger, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. That's what I've been finding within myself. And then, you know, through the work I've been doing through coaching and the retreats, just seeing a lot of common threads with people. It's, it's got its own flavor, its own language, its own texture there are a lot of commonalities with what people struggle with and the way it permeates through a lot of aspects of their lives. Yeah. I was about to say, it's the more you, the more I've done this, I'm sure the more people you put yourself around and whether it be bringing them together for the retreats or in the coaching space, I've always found like the more you find we're all pretty similar. <laughs> like, there's a lot that we have in common. We struggle with a lot of the same things. It just shows up differently for, for us. And there's not one size fits all solution, I believe. But 
I love a lot of what you're you're talking about here is just sitting and slowing that process down where you actually make a choice in what the action gets to be rather than that like subconscious just continually running your life day in and day out. It's exhausting mm. when you really it think is, about it, isn't it? It is. Like it's like being it's being led by a master, you know? You're like you're you can we become enslaved by our minds as opposed to the other way around where our mind is this mega powerful computer mm. tool that if we, you know, if we can master, then now we're we're, you know, moving from a different place someone else has a steering wheel um yeah it, it's it i find it so fascinating you know mm -hmm. how we're we're a set of circumstances away from being each other like i'm a slight number of circumstances away from being you we're so much more similar and closer to each other than we are separate when you look at the vastness of the cosmos and like everything and how huge it is and how little we are. We are both humans living pretty close on a planet and pretty close in age. And we're the same gender. And you know what I mean? Like we were both mm -hmm. athletes. Like we're almost the same when you look at it from that perspective. And then when you go closer into the microscopic way, like your experience of life is so different. But I think it's a it's a beautiful way for us to remember how to reconnect with each other that like we're, we're a pocket of consciousness experiencing life from a set of circumstances is not that far away from the next person. Mm. You know, it's an easy way to remember that like we can love each other like ourselves because we're not that far away from being each other, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's such a, such a great point there. I'd be, I'd be curious um, in doing some research kind of coming into the show here, one of the things that came up was the end of your career and, and how, th mm -hmm. quote unquote, how things ended. And would love to hear just through your storytelling and through your perspective, more so from the lens of like what you know now, how would you maybe approach, like would you have quote unquote changed anything or how would that process have been different knowing what you know now and for context, if you want to just share kind of the accident that went down and and that whole pro part of your journey there in the sport. Uh, I just recently made my first post about it five years after the fact. But in 2017, December 19th of 2017, um, three weeks before Nationals, where the Olympic team was to be named, it was, you know, my last... My last kick of the can, I, I stuck around to go to another games um, and had a different partner and she had come from Russia and we just had the Canadian immigration minister sign her passport personally. So we had that opportunity to go. Uh, my 200 pound mirrored door fell on my face while I was lying down in a Pilates studio. And um, the details, it, it's kind of a bit of a complex story. I won't go too far into it, but essentially I was lucky enough that I was about to meditate. And then uh, my ex at the time, um, she, we were together. She was, uh, she was traveling. She called me and the fact that I had, I had headphones in and I was on a call and alert and my eyes were open helped me to survive. But I, I was looking to my left. Someone opened the storage room door this big mirrored door and it fell off its hinge and I heard something last second and turned and got my hand up and the door landed on my hand and my face and knocked me out and there was big shards of glass all over my body and I was unconscious and I ended up with stitches in my hand and um, what I believe is a cracked bone they didn't even do an x-ray at the hospital for some reason but um, either a, a bad bone bruise or a cracked bone but uh, a pretty bad concussion and my face was pretty cut up. Uh, I couldn't really see out of the corner of my left eye for the first hour or two. And I was pretty freaked out. <clears throat> I ended up going to nationals and competing three weeks later on three full days of training, still with concussion symptoms and um, I missed the Olympic team by a spot. And that was, that was it. You know, that was how my career ended. 
pretty much. I went to one competition afterwards of Four Continents Championships thinking like maybe we can redeem ourselves and it was a disaster. Um, I was in a very dark place and it was just not good. No bueno. Um, we got offered the world championships the month later and I said no and and I, and I hung them up and that was that was it. So to answer your question, how I see it now, I mean, for one, you know, the blatant metaphor of a mirror landing on my face is just kind of, it's so pun intended right on the nose, you know, it's like, I wonder how many messages I was receiving and not receiving from life mm. um, about look closer, like change your ways. You know, I, I my last couple of years, I was struggling with my skating partner. I was, I was frustrated. I was, I was stressed about results. I was, I, I was, I had a short temper uh, on the ice sometimes, you know, and I, I was, I was out of alignment. Um, I was struggling with some things and uh, my behaviors off the ice were not good too. You know, like I, I wasn't aligned with my truth. I was, I was lying to myself about a lot of aspects of my life. And when I look back as much as that was at the time, probably the most difficult and one of the most difficult things I've ever dealt with. Um, it was just, it was, it happened for me. You know, I, I choose to see it as um, however you look, the universe source, God, spirit, like whatever works for anybody. Um, there was some sort of guidance in redirecting my life. And, um, you know, I had my, I had to have my Olympic ring cut off my finger at the hospital and I missed the Olympic team three weeks later, you know, so it's like chock full of metaphors and, and, um, I didn't really know how to see those things before mm -hmm. I was, I was driving with my, with the pedal to the metal blind in a lot of ways. I was just like a bull in my life. And now I just see it as, you know, this, this, understanding of receiving like we talked about the masculine and the feminine receiving information receiving guidance from everything receiving teachings from everything like just being in nature and watching the way certain plants adapt to the environment animals like how the ecosystem works with each other like how you know there's there's metaphor in literally everything it's not about creating it it's about turning on the mind to receive it and and turning off the chatter and turning on the antenna and 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 then just choosing to be a student you know and i think um learning to grieve was probably one of the biggest lessons i took from that and it took me a while mm took me a while you know the athlete the athlete approach of being strong and like sucking it up and in figure skating you you can have a disastrous skate and you still have to smile and perform and like you know you're you're out there in the middle of the ice in front of thousands of people in your fancy costume and you're like falling and zamboning the ice and you still have to like finish your performance you know which is a great metaphor for life but also a lot of suppression a lot of acting like we're okay happens and mm. um at least for myself, I realized how much I was avoiding grief and how much that was poisoning me. Yeah. It's a beautiful message to yourself now, leaning back. I think it's it's very challenging for anyone to look at things that have happened in our lives that, you know, in this case, being a victim of, a, of an accident, you bizarre accident right like there's there's no i don't want to say like it wasn't it's not your fault that it happened you know it was an external thing but i'm hearing in your process and your grieving process as well and transition there is a level of ownership and even then there's that, that added layer of gratitude towards this 
of long term, what would your words of advice be to someone that is in a similar situation maybe right now? They're they're switching transition they're transitioning, career is ending, new one is starting, whatever it may be, but it maybe feels like for them right now in this moment, it's someone else's fault. It's the coach's fault that they have to retire. The the league is getting too good or, or whatever it may be, uh, or an accident. What would your words of encouragement or advice be that maybe you wish you had someone telling you five years ago when this went down for you? Hmm. Honor all the feelings. There is no shame in feeling everything. But then also be mindful of the mind and start to learn how to unstitch the victim mentality from the grieving. Because the acceptance of what is comes with grieving, but it also is very empowering. You know, and, and I think as if we always attach something happening to us and give that power to someone else or something else, we will always stay a victim. And we will attach ourselves to that feeling and we can, we can, and a lot of us get stuck in this um, identifying with what has happened to us. And that's who I am. I am a person who has that, that happened, right? And we have, we have a choice and it's not to be insensitive. There are things that people go through in this world that I am so privileged to have not have experienced. And the task of trying to see that life is happening for them through that lens for me to say that that that's a really difficult thing you know like i can't even fathom and i'm not going to tell people how to be but i do think in most circumstances we have a choice to see life as happening to us or for us and regardless of how difficult it is that is the one of the ways we can begin to take ownership again for creating our reality for creating our life we can't create everything around us i mean there's eight billion humans on the planet let alone all the other things happening insects birds trees like there are so many things happening at all times and everything has a ripple and in in physics everything has an equal and opposite reaction in the law of karma like if you're looking at all of these things happening at all times, there is so much going on that we have absolutely no control over. The only thing we can control is the way we receive and perceive, which is how we create our reality, our experience of what is happening, right? So I think grieving so we can we can get those feelings, those emotions moving and we can learn from them and they don't stay stagnant and poison and cause disease in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um and then and then seeing that like okay this happened i can't change it what can i take from it what can i create with it and for athletes it is so difficult because to be at such a high level we are taught that we have to identify as being that athlete like that is that is who we are it's not what we do but in actuality it is not who we are it is what we do we are so much more than just really good at playing a game you know and the things that make us an athlete that's a warrior spirit that is applicable to life in every aspect of life not the game not the sport not the 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 art you know what i mean that's a way we express it and we learn to brush with it and foster this relationship with our courage our resilience our our strength but at the end of the day we can do that in anything. Mm. And now we can be gifted with a, a new beginning. As difficult as that is, it's an opportunity. And as long as there's breath in our lungs, we have fight. And we can we can choose to create the way we, we receive the world. You see people who have these horrifying accidents that change their lives, you know, their body physically really gets changed and their, and their whole life changes. And they go up on stage and talk about what, what happened and how they chose, you know, and not everyone reacts in that way, but 
in hearing some of the stories of people's response to life, what I hear time and again is the choice of how to move forward, how to receive, how to grieve, and then how to move forward. Like we're con- like we are we are creation creating. You know, we are pieces mm-hmm. of creation creating at all time. Every choice we make is a creation. So what kind of reality do we want to create? What kind of experience of life? What kind of um relationships? What kind of peace? What kind of love? What kind of uh building of of something do we want to create in our world um and use everything that we've already experienced and apply it as opposed to be identifying as someone who lost something and that's all we are Mm. that's beautifully said i i really appreciate that it reminds me of i think Kyrie irving recently uh might have been on the shop or one of those shows I was listening to him kind of explain how he views himself more as this artist and that it just so happens that his brush or his modality right now is a basketball but he's excited to continue to explore what it means to be an artist beyond that medium in life to come and I was like man I wish I wish I had that mentality <laughs> years ago when I was oh, beautiful. gearing up for all this you know this has been Great. It has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I've learned a ton in this process. I want to first just acknowledge you and the the way that you're showing up and the way that you're diving into this work head first. You're not shying away for it. And then you're also paying it forward and inviting others to come join you in this, whether that be through the coaching or through the retreats. I want to ask you the fast five, which are going to be rapid fire, just quick one sentence, one word answers, and then we'll plug where everyone can find more of you and keep up with you. The first one is what's your go-to podcast that you're listening to right now? Oh, my go-to podcast. Yours. Hey, I'll take it. I appreciate it. That's the right answer, right? (laughs) There we go. Hey, if you're... Yeah, if you're not... That's your message. I I love what you're doing, man. I love what you're doing. I think, you know... uh, I don't know that I, I subscribe to like one main podcast. I like some of the stuff Aubrey Marcus does. He has some really amazing guests on there. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's, I love people who are not afraid to step in and speak their truth and, and, you know, inform and share like their passion, their knowledge, their experience. Like, I think we, we heal in community. We mm-hmm. heal as a collective as well. So people who are willing to be vulnerable and authentic and raw. I, anyone who is open and doing that and and coming from a place of wanting to help others works for me. I love that. Number two, what's your favorite book that you've read in the past year? In the past year? Uh, I mean, I keep coming back to uh, The Untethered Soul. Mm. I mean, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great book. Um, to make sense of things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and wherever anyone is with their self discovery or spiritual journey, I, I think it's a really great read. I hundred percent agree. I also like the surrender experiment. It was like the follow-up to that one. Yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I, I've heard it's good. 10 out of 10 recommend number three. What is a quote that you live by? Oh, there's many. Your attitude determines your altitude. And that was, that was uh, my quote as an athlete. And I guess that was the first one that came to me, but I really see how it works in, in everything, you know, because Mm. the, 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 the mind that we bring determines the way we experience something. So your out, your attitude determines your altitude is maybe not so much about altitude in a, in a placement or in a Mm -hmm. comparison, but more about the levity or the, the spaciousness that we create with the mindset we bring to things. I love how even just that little bit that you added on at the end really highlights how much your mindset and approach has grown beyond just medals <laughs> and accolades, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, number four, what's something that you can't live without? Breathing. <laughs> Pretty Ironically enough, like that hasn't been given on the, on the yeah, show. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, uh, my physical practice, whether it be yoga, exercise, breathwork, meditation. Um, 
a few days of not making that time for myself and my experience of life changes. Mm. So it's not, it's not a, I'm, I'm reworking it from this, like I need it. Mm-hmm. And more so I just, I just love to spend that time with myself and, and to, to find stillness. I love it. Number five, short and sweet. If you could sum up your focus right now, the season of life into one word, what is that? Truth. Mm. Beautiful. Where can those listening in find more of your truth, what you're doing, the goodness that you're putting out into the world? Great segue there, right? Yeah. Well done. Well done. It's like you've done this before. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, am on Instagram at Dylan.Moscovich. I have a, a coaching page, which I'm, I'm building. It's, uh, at underscore heel X underscore. Um, but I, I spend a lot of my time in Costa Rica working at a retreat center called reunion experience. And we're on Instagram at reunion experience, uh, website is reunionexperience.org, And, um, we are a not-for-profit um retreat center healing retreat center that works with uh, psilocybin and also we act as a bridge bringing in indigenous wisdom keepers from various tribes in the amazon who bring their ancestral ancient medicine of ayahuasca and and their way of working with that medicine and um you know our uh, the center is a beautiful place, but the initiative is really what calls to me. And and we have three funds. Uh, one is a scholarship fund to help people uh, afford to come who can't. Um, the second is a, a wisdom keeper fund where we work with these indigenous tribes and help to give them money to, to do whatever it is uh, that they feel they need that money for, whether it's building a new temple, uh, um, you know, their grounds, their villages, whatever it is, is, is helping these people who have safeguarded the medicine and these healing ways for generations. Uh, and then the third is a replenish initiative, which is to, is to regrow and, and to make sure that there is uh, medicine for future generations, you know, that these plants and, and fungi are still thriving and um, around for, for humanity as, as we strongly believe that, they are allies. They are powerful tools in the healing and transformative um, journeys that, you know, should we feel called to go on. But as a collective, that humanity, I think, is starting to really uh, submerge into into this, this big shift that I feel happening. And um, for me, the medicine has been, medicine ceremony has been um, invaluable in my journey. And so... Uh, I, I'm very grateful and very honored to be able to be working alongside those medicines and helping others find their way home. Mm. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful thing. I appreciate all the work that you're doing. We'll have all of that linked below. If you are interested in learning more, reach out to Dylan. Uh, Dylan, man, again, thank you. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for everything you're doing, helping athletes and just, you know, spreading more light, more joy in the world. And uh, really appreciate you. Appreciate you having me on your show. Appreciate you taking the time to listen. I want to introduce a gentleman's agreement if you've made it this far. I'm committed to sharing top-notch value with you each week. All I ask in return is that if you've been listening to the show for a while, or this is your first time here even, take a minute to subscribe wherever it is that you're listening into and share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend. Subscribers and shares actually go a long way in helping me and the show continue to grow and get enough traction to justify bringing on bigger guests and bigger value to you, the listener. With over 200 episodes into this thing, you know I'm going to end up hold up my end of this agreement here. So take that 30 seconds to subscribe wherever it is that you're listening to. I look forward to continuing to grow alongside with you here in 2023. And until next week, flow on, my friends.